You remember the Animus, the machine we used to unravel genetic memories and relive the lives of our ancestors? First, you were Altair, a stoic 12th century assassin from the Holy Land. Then, you were Ezio Auditore, a wealthy Italian with charisma and a talent for revenge. So, what do you three have in common? That's right, the Apple of Eden. <laughs> That strange artifact left behind by those people. The ones who came before. You know the apple's power. You felt it for yourself. Awesome. Sorry, that sounded, that sounded really bad. <laughs> no, I'm, sounded... actually in a good, I'm in a good mood today. I am in a good mood today. Yeah, we're actually super high energy here, which is probably why our intro is pretty um, tame, which is interesting, <laughs> I think. But anyway, all this to say that there was something fundamentally um, in game design and especially in games writing that I forgot to talk about. And so we're going to be recording something really exciting for you guys today, which is world building and how to craft a game's story through its world and what that really means. Yep. Um, so this is a part of game development that really gets into the weeds and into kind of the fundamental production issues that we've talked about in different episodes. You know, I have a systems design background. I don't have um, an environment art background necessarily, but there are a lot of times as a level designer when environment art and how an artist wants to portray the world and then how the narratives had set the tone, the mood, the atmosphere are sometimes in um, fighting with the level design, right? What you want the gameplay to be. But all of this, right, can be solved and or at least mitigated slightly, though conflicts will always arise, with really good proper world building. And a lot of that stems from a lot of the same principles we use in fiction writing yep. and in screenwriting as well. Yep. So with this introduction, I'm super excited to finally dig into world building. Um, and to start us off, Nicholas, why don't you go ahead and let us know what is world building just generally yeah so world building in any writing scenario is a sen is not just about like what you're going to put into like whatever particular media you're going to pr produce be it like a film or a game or a tv show or whatever but it's also about sort of like having an entire sort of conceptual background where it's almost like if you figure that out first, if you figure out like the entire structure of the world, maybe it's like economic system, it's history, like what the social relationships are, what the political relationships are, like what the various like nation states, if those exist or if, or if they don't exist, like that's also an option. Like you could have just anarcho communes everywhere. But once you determine those things and once you have like a fairly good sense of how all of those things interact with each other, then 
it actually helps you immensely because you then sort of like come up with a particular character and a particular sort of like story that you might find interesting. And by like setting it in that world, it actually helps determine a lot of the details for you. It also means that like the like whatever media property you produce can then also be easily expanded upon so like you know if the thing that you produce ends up being very successful and people want to learn more or like have like future adventures in that world then you've already done a lot of the work that will help determine the like the subsequent stories that you want to tell and this historically has come from genre fiction um especially like sci-fi and fantasy although horror as well although classically horror tended to take place in like our world but in just sort of like a slightly off version of it whereas um, sci-fi and fantasy typically had to reimagine completely different worlds because precisely because they're not necessarily set in something that resembles the one that we're in it might be sort of a future projection of our world, you know, from like, you know, say like 20 or 400 years in the future. But then, but then in fantasy cases, like you definitely have significant alterations. And so you need to have a clear understanding of how all that works. And then just to sort of put a cap on this, the way this then historically worked its way into video games was especially through like tabletop role playing. So like then the idea of you know, world building in genre fiction became fundamental to tabletop role playing because literally, if you think about, say, like the rules in a game like Shadowrun or Dungeons and Dragons, or like literally just pick one, pick whatever system, because it's a system, it literally then all of the rules and all the stuff, all of the books are then essentially explaining the world to you because the idea is like, here's all the world building material. Now you as like, you know, the GM and player characters, you can now tell your stories using this information in much the same way that the writer would use all of that background information to sort of help determine, you know, what their characters are going to be like. Yeah. And so what Nicholas is fundamentally bringing up, right, is something that when we think of world building, we tend to align it with hard world building. It's going to have realistic facts, systems, rules, and it really immerses the player through creating like a holistic, like, you know, universe. Yeah. It's something that has detailed lore documentation. And a lot of the Dungeons and Dragons references, Dragon Age, any sort of role playing game that you play say, like, concurrently that has these aligned, like, magic is aligned with some sort of fundamental rule set of the way the world works, yeah. right? Magic systems then of themselves are, like, a rule set system that in the world building is also matched, right, by gameplay mechanics. But there yeah. are, interestingly, the way that this arises into conflict is a different set of world building that we actually see a lot more in genre fiction, young adult fiction. And that type of world building is more character driven, yeah. um, but it's also soft world building. And that doesn't have quite a rule set or mechanics or say regulatory things. It's yeah. more about understanding and creating a mood atmosphere, tone, and as you can already kind of see, is a little bit more artistic. You're not quite sure, say, why this illustration or this thing looks a certain way. Someone might just go, hey, it looked really cool to have a dragon coming out of a sword. Okay, yeah, but why is the dragon coming out of a sword? <laughs> what's the stats? And then now you can see, right, where someone's going, well, what's the purpose of it? What's the reasoning behind it? Is fighting with someone who's soft world building. This is a dragon sword. 
Is the dragon alive? I don't know. Maybe the dragon is a metaphor, right? And so suddenly soft world building and hard building, uh, world building fight. Um, to give like very specific kind of rule game examples that are going to lead slightly on the spectrum towards hard world building to give you like a middle. Yeah. If Dungeons and Dragons is hard world building, right? It's got like there is no there's no reason for me to explain that. I was going to explain and I was like, I'm not spending five minutes doing that, right? <laughs> um, I would say on the soft world building spectrum would be something like Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Okay. Right? Where that type of game is one where you kind of understand what's about the world and it does have a lot of in-depth systems and mechanics and gameplay, but you're not quite sure exactly like how does just throwing a bunch of herbs into a pot like magically create food? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, right? Like versus in literally in Dungeons and Dragons, like there is a module called the Homebrew, and it is just a cooking D and D game. Like, I love that. Right. Yeah. Um. So in there, it's like no, every cooking thing has a spell, and when you eat a muffin, like you're gonna gain some weight, so you move slower, but like you're gonna be really hyper and actually like move fast for like just a little bit and then crash. Versus in like Legend of Zelda, it's like you get some more hearts because you made a good muffin. You get less yeah. hearts because you made a bad muffin, and you made this muffin from roots and twigs you found in the ground. Right. So yeah. that's kind of soft world building, and then it also has this majesty to it, this mystery. Right. Um, I would actually also consider Outer Worlds a little bit right now, stepping back into, say, the middle, right, of hard and soft world building. Outer Worlds is one of those that kind of starts as soft world building, where you're kind of uncovering more and more about the universe as you complete every loop. Is it Outer Wait, Worlds or Outer Wilds? Outer Wilds. That's outer Wilds. Yeah, oh, my God. Okay, so Outer Wilds, right, while is on the Legend of Zelda side. Outer Worlds is very much not on the Legend of Zelda side and is in hard world building. And I get this confused every single time. Um, thank you for both releasing in the same year and making it really easy to tell you apart. I'm sorry to yeah. everyone at Obsidian. Outer Wilds um, is, is kind of there as well because it further and further throughout the gameplay is now going kind of to that net neutral. And interestingly, I would actually put, and now this is, and this is where we get into genre fiction, right? And we get into kind of what are character-driven stories when you think of a linear single-player game. I would put Uncharted almost in the middle of where it's one of those, right, adjacent parallel universes where it's like, hey, treasure hunters could exist in our real world. There are real facts, right? And, you know, Tomb Raider is in this as well. But at the same time, it's like, why is there other... Why are there bad guys trying to fight you, right? Especially in <laughs> Tomb Raider where it's like, why is this cult there, right? Yeah. And yeah. I think that that's where it's one of those ones where it has that fantasy and that fantastical element to it and kind of both properties. Even though I think Uncharted is more like I am a real world, a lot of yeah. the Tomb Raider content is very much like, I don't know why this mystical Jesus object is even necessary for you to steal at this point. Like you have to give it back because of – the mystical Jesus prophet object versus yeah. an uncharted. It would be, this is not a mystical Jesus, right? Product. This is just uh, an item that has been passed down through generations. Right. So I think it's interesting to kind of see that that has like a soft and yet hard world building exists speak already because it's like, it's in our world. Right. Yeah. So it follows yeah. like an existing rule set. Well, yeah. And especially since in the case of both Tomb Raider, so Lara Croft and Nathan Drake are essentially both like versions of Indiana Jones, but they sort of em emphasize like different aspects. So if you've never seen any of the Indiana Jones films, 
I'm sorry, because many of them, a couple of them are not very good, but many of them are very good. Um, where there and are- We're not f- talking about Indiana Jones, Crystal Skull. We're talking about the Indiana Jones that was released I, in- I wasn't, I wasn't going to specifically call out Crystal Skull, but now that you did, yes, it is a bad movie. No, no. But sort yes. of, if you, if you think about a movie like, say, um, maybe Temple of Doom? No. Anyway, I kind of can't remember with the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, Raiders so of in, the Lost so Ark. So in the Raiders yeah. of the Lost Ark, like it takes place in a very specific historical time period. Like there are literal fights with Nazis, but at the same time, there is this fantasy element in the search for the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant, as is revealed later in the film, does actually have sort of magical properties to it. But what's interesting about it is that instead of inventing an entirely new like magical system that is divorced from like our human history, it actually uses something from the like collective human mythos. It uses a specific religious object that has its own like predetermined characteristics and so forth. And it sort of just kind of makes it a little bit more fantastic. So it's still very much grounded in the world that we all live in and and in our history, but it just sort of like pushes one element a little bit more in the sort of fantastic direction. But in so doing, Lauren's right. Like the hard world building is more or less determined by like existing historical record. Like, you know, Nazis were a thing that exists. Like, you know, the war, the second world war was a thing that happened and using that as sort of a background, both like politically and socially for the film, then you don't, you're not coming up with that yourself. In the case of a game like Tomb Raider, it sort of takes that logic and pushes it a little further. In other words, it becomes a little bit more fantastical. And then it also in the, like the, the recent uh, trilogy, there's what, what is the, like the nefarious organization called it's like trinity or something like that yeah it's trinity yeah so like now you're getting kind of like illuminati slash like secret society stuff that is again pushing things more in the fantastical direction yeah and that's what's interesting is that when now if we kind of step away from just like the analyzation of what exactly is world building and creating the spectrum of video games for you like Tomb Raider with the organization like Trinity is very much taken right from the mummy, uh, the yeah. original mummy with yeah. Brendan Fraser, which is amazing. Everybody go watch <laughs> it. Um, I'm also very pleased to note that when you rewatch it, you will notice that it is quite actually uh, very feminist. It is a great movie. And even though it has like very machismo tropes, it very much does not fall in line with like, but woman is sidekick to man. Well, yeah, um, no, and the and the yeah, macho yeah, yeah. dudes in the film are very corny, and so and they're very it's, corny. It's goofy. It's not like, oh, this is very serious. This is what men are supposed to be like. Yeah, no, exactly. Which yeah. so it's great. Um, just have to put call that out there because you know, like, I have an agenda. Ah, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yay! Okay, everyone, everyone, <laughs> learn about her feminist agenda. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Ah, all right. Now that I have caffeinated a little bit after that, it's a little <laughs> celebration. Um, yeah. No, what's interesting is that like Tomb Raider, definitely, if we look at genre fiction, we look at movies as well as uh, books. I think uh, for me, I personally believe you're creating a game to read a lot because a lot of the work that you're going to be doing for world building is going to be more textual and written before it is going to be put into a, a screenwriting format. But yeah. uh, and just just because it's like that's that would be helpful for me. But yeah. I also rely more on the hard world building side, 
right? Even though soft world building is probably my forte, um, just because it's just character dialogue. And I would say The Mummy showcases how like a movie does soft world building since it is in our existing world, right? It's using rules and understanding and mechanics and systems we already know, like fire does not you know, exist underwater, for example, right? Yeah. The laws of physics are not changed. Yeah, they're mostly the same, yeah. They're mostly the same, but it has that fantasy element that now you get in the software building that somehow, right, Trinity in Tomb Raider, right, and the kind of like antagonist, like mummy guard, I guess I forgot his name, was it? Yeah, but basically- Imhotep, I think. Yeah, Imhotep. Yeah, Yeah. Imhotep's kind of like guard slash cult, right, is evil. And like when they come back, you now have these like societal things that are mapped onto existing cultural references, but how they progress, his powers, what he's actually able to do while it has some sort of like realistic component is really all fantasy, right? And then they can kind of change what they want to do it based on the reactions, right, of- like the viewer, but the reactions of the characters. Well, not only that, but also like there, there are even some ways in which you can sort of give a almost logical cast to things that seem fantastic. And so a really good example of this is Stargate, where like <clears throat> the powers of the Egyptian gods are then essentially just like a really advanced alien civilization and its technology. And its technology, you know, works according to like, you know, the laws of physics, but it's just assumed that like their technological capabilities are just far more advanced than the human beings that they first encountered on planet Earth. And so like you can actually sort of go back. It's it's weird. There is this kind of interesting interplay between the fantastical and the, the realistic where you can sort of like vacillate between the two of them. And a lot of really interesting worlds do that. And yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> actually, so this actually makes me want to spend a little bit of time changing the script a bit to be- before we go straight into how to kind of like writing in games and looking yeah. how genre fiction is, you bringing up the Egyptian gods as kind of like advanced alien technology reminds me of a very popular franchise that did the same thing, but with the Greek gods, that franchise is Assassin's Creed. Yeah. And this is actually a really good point of an example where you are soft world building. When you try to impose a hard world building aspect to it can leave your players feeling frustrated and not understanding of the overall world's story yeah. because Assassin's Creed is one of those where it takes place in the real world It takes place in the past, and the connecting factor is this immersive virtual reality technology known as the Animus. Yeah. And that one in of itself is like, wow, it's the Animus was VR this whole time. (laughs) It is. If you didn't know that it was VR while you're playing the game and you're like, it's the Animus. That's literally revealed in the first, very first Assassin's Creed game. It really is. But like, honestly, I will think that some, for some people listening, it might be the first time they hear it described in such kind of like hard real world terms. Because especially when the game came out, it wasn't like, welcome to Animus, our VR technology. Yeah. Like, blah 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 meta quest oculus la 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 it was very it was very much just like this is the animus the animus is that type of character and like building is very soft world building right it's very we're not going to tell you it's virtual reality we're going to tell you it's the animus because in this world vr does not exist the animus exists right it's not a commercial product 
Yeah. Or it's not in the first Assassin's Creed and then it becomes yeah. a commercial product and Assassin's Creed 4 and then, oh my God. Anyway, but that's what I'm trying to say, right? Is that then the more hard building, world building you put into a project, if you remember after Assassin's Creed 1, 2, 2.5, 2.25 and 2.5 and then 3, that was like Revelations and Brotherhood in, yeah. in reverse order. Um, after those three... And these alien, it's all been alien technology. Like there's all of these things. And we always had hints of it with the foreshadowing, the way that game ended. And then the way the subsequent franchises have moved on from that very much became a try to hard world build that now everyone's an employee. Everybody's yeah. an assassin in the real world. Everyone's stealing this technology. Anyone can use this technology. Look, the world's going to end again. And it tried to raise the stakes in a way that didn't match the original world building. Yeah. Right. So I think for some, in, in some interest, right, it's when you are crafting a video game world, you have to recognize how much is too much world building, right? How many rules that are honestly fiction rules right? Contextual rules for the mechanics yeah. and systems that you have yeah. create too much, say, story for your game and not enough narrative. Yeah. Well, yeah, because the thing is, if you get too into the weeds when it comes to hard world building, like like changing literally everything about the way the world works, you can kind of get yourself stuck in weird ruts because you know, in order to tell a story, you want to have a certain degree of flexibility. In other words, if a particular like, you know, something that you're working on isn't necessarily like it's not quite gelling or like people are just not that interested, you want to have the flexibility that you can then go back and alter, make significant alterations to sort of like the narrative flow. But if you sort of over determine everything, that is going to be much harder to do. So, I mean, it's almost better to think of it kind of like in historiographic terms where you're, you have sort of like broad outlines of things that have happened, or you have sort of like a broad conception of how particular things like work, say economically or socially, but you don't want them to be too nailed down because, and also you want to leave yourself the freedom to like, you know, even people within ours, like we, we, I mean, under capitalism, like there are certain expectations of like economic behavior and so forth. But even within that system, there are people who openly antagonize it and work against it. So you also want to leave yourself the the flexibility to realize that like the way the world system works isn't totally determinative. Like people can react to it in different ways. They can go along with it. They can work against it. They can manipulate it. Like they're, you have to leave yourself that kind of space to do those things. And I think one of the best examples of where this can go wrong is with like magic systems in fantasy. You don't want your magic because one of the reasons why I think that sometimes like secondary media made out of say like D and D kind of just don't work is because of the fact that like D's magic system is hyper determinative like both for like like for sorcerers for warlocks for for wizards it's it's very specific it's very precise it has a lot of really sort of like naughty rules that you have to sort of work around and then when you try to create a story out of that as lauren is saying you can find yourself in a situation where you're sort of 
overly constrained by the rules of the system and of the world that has been built up around that. And I think what's interesting for magic systems, especially if you look at genre fiction, right, is that we've both been watching this amazing show called Alchemy of Souls, and I have not actually seen the end. So we're not going to talk about Alchemy of Souls from a plot or like a world building standpoint necessarily, but we will talk about its magic system because it is a magical show and it is about using magic. And what's interesting is unlike in the West where sorcery is considered something for like the like the male a sorcerer studies all of these things sorcery in war in the alchemy of souls world is actually evil it is a bad thing and magic is the good thing and so i'm bringing this up because when i talk about say magic and harry potter right both of these have a very kind of like soft magic system in alchemy of souls you have to go through the different elements to progress and the first element i think is wind and then the second element is water. No, I think it's the other way around. I think water. Or is, is it the first. other way around? Yeah. Well, no, because yeah. water chisu is the I create the water. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. You're okay. Right. So right. So you're going through the elements kind of like in this linear fashion, right? So there is a little bit more of a like system, but how they do it, how long it's supposed to take people, right, are all kind of like malleable, and they change it throughout the show. But in Harry Potter, right, it's kind of more of a, it's a hard magic system with soft world building elements. So you all go to this school to study in order to use magic. Some people that are born wizards can't use magic, right? Other one else is a non-magic user, right? And if you do, you have to get trained. Otherwise your magic, I don't know, stagnates or goes crazy or something. You can't control well, we it. You can't really do, you you, can't you really can't do anything it. with it. Yeah. yeah, you can't do anything with it. You have to learn yeah. to channel it. So there's this like hard system to it. But like you can learn how to set something on fire before you do water, right? Um, apparently everyone knows the spell to kill somebody, but like it's so corrosive to your soul that like it'll kill you. Like, you know what I yeah. mean? Like it destroys a piece of your soul, but yeah. it's not really clear, right? Like does it destroy <laughs> a piece of your soul? Like it's kind of implied because killing is a sin, right? So yeah it's implied but like we're not really sure and then we're like well is there a wizard prison because there is wizarding prisons like guantanamo but we don't just see like oh you stole someone's purse with your magic kind of prison so like do wizards yeah you see so like you're actually increasing the imagination and when i think of these two properties right i think for me that it is really easy to see why there is so much harry potter fan fiction because the possibilities are kind of endless you easily can see yourself as a student in this world right and you can create like original characters you can create stories i mean the whole pottermore thing was huge like that in of itself is like the fan fiction game right yeah and that's kind of what that type of world building does in the other hand right oh sorry i was just gonna say on the other hand right you can see yourself in alchemy of souls but there's just quite a, a few more rules and a few more unknowns that you're not quite sure you don't feel like you would be a magic user like it doesn't feel more open yeah um yeah. And then I guess the other example is like a lot of people would love to live in Lord of the Rings, but for the reason that, you know, everybody's like place in society. Like if I was an elf, there would be all these elf things I'd do. If I was a dwarf, there's all the dwarf things I'd do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's not a lot of social mobility in Tolkien's world. You you are pretty much what you're born as, which is, you know, very English. <laughs> yeah, well, it's very English. English, but then when you think about it, it's very Dungeons and Dragons, right? 
It is and it isn't. Well, well, because yeah. you know a lot of, but it the the chicken and the egg work in the opposite direction there because a lot of what exists in Dungeons and Dragons is essentially just an attempt to sort of like codify Tolkien esque fantasy. Um, but the thing is, so I'm actually glad that you brought up Alchemy of Souls, even because I hadn't thought of this. But one of the things that's really interesting about that world is does go back to something that I was saying earlier. So yes, you do have very a very rigid system in that sort of fantasy universe where like a particular kind of magic is very clearly evil. A particular kind of magic is very clearly like the right way of doing things. You literally have to go to like a mage school to learn the right way to do things. And then there's also some cool sword fighting involved as well. But what is especially interesting about the particular story that is told there is that if you look at Jungkook's um, like his own personal story, he very much bucks all of the like expected ways of doing things and so that is precisely the kind of flexibility that i was talking about before where you can have a fairly determined like world and like all the way things are supposed to work but you can still set things up in a particular way where people don't necessarily like behave in full accordance in other words you can have a really elaborate system, but it's not determinative. And then really sort of like the determination is the thing that you you actually want to avoid, I think. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think this actually is a really great place to kind of tease out and understand what these types of genre fictions really give to us. Because yeah. you as the player are determining the narrative of these spaces. And when we look at creating worlds, much like our own, you mentioned this with capitalism right? Yep. Capitalism is something that a lot of people buy into. A lot of people, you know, like say say they perpe- perpetuate by their actions, but yep. capitalism as a society, there's also the ability to say actively antagonize it. Yes. And that is a moral structure. So when you are looking at creating worlds and you look at the genre fiction, especially in science fiction, the dystopian, right? Utopias, right? What went wrong to create this cause, right? Yeah. All of that is a moral dilemma, right? A moral problem. And so yeah. when we look at the foundations of whether we're watching our mo- like a favorite movie, whether we're watching TV shows, whether we're reading genre fiction like science fiction, right? The problems posited in, they say, Star Trek, right, are much different than problems posited in Star Wars but are both at the end of the day creating these moral dilemmas that the characters have to struggle with and to understand. And when we bring that into video games, we can make it very apparent. Like, this is your Paragon option and this is your Renegade option, right? The light side and the dark side. Or or we don't, right? We can do do it more subtly. And sometimes the more subtle option is actually the one you want to go for because, I don't know, like, when it comes to sort of, you know, the Bioware, you know, do you pick the red side or do you pick the blue side? Because they always seem to be red and blue for some reason. Um, that kind of feels just like you sort of like your classic role playing game where it's like, oh, did I put points in this thing or did I put points yes. in this thing? Whereas in a game like, say, Bioshock, I know we use Bioshock as an example all the time, but at least we're not talking about Dragon Age for once. Um, in Bio- <laughs> Sorry, that was a burn directed specifically at lauren <laughs> bioshock sorry dragon age is still a really great game we still love it etc 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 but the reason why i bring up bioshock is because it has a very clear world with a very p- clear like political outlook that it sets you in like the the world of rapture has this like very specific libertarian slash like anarcho-capitalist worldview and 
but what it does instead of sort of just like, did I put points in capitalism or did I put points in anti-capitalism through its story structure, it allows you to like make choices that push you more in one direction, more in another direction, or even kind of split the difference between the two. In other words, you are given the option in your, in terms of the game mechanics and player behavior to make choices that are more moral, but at the same time, like, deplete or sort of like lessen the like power of your player character or you're also allowed to make choices where you can increase the power of your player character but you have to make choices that are fundamentally immoral and so the thing is in that instance it's not about like you know it's not about sort of like fiddling with things in your character sheet it's about gameplay and when you do it through gameplay at least in my opinion then there is a much more despite what Clint Hawking has said there's a much more seamless like relationship between the story and the narrative and the gameplay elements whereas in the case of like you know character sheeting it it feels like the gameplay elements become kind of separated from the narrative yeah and that is a great place to end. We wanted to thank everybody for your continued support of the Furudashi podcast. Once again, we do have a Patreon. So please go ahead and subscribe so that yes. you can get access not just to bonus episodes, but to even more further bonus content and direct access to our Discord. We hope to see you there where we can continue building our own little world of the Furudashi <laughs> game class. 